We all like to be praised, right? And we love to hear that was a great meal. That was an awesome presentation. That cabinet looks terrific. That is the best sermon I've ever heard. (laughs) And today you're thinking, I hope I can walk out saying that's the shortest sermon I've ever heard. (laughs) We love to be praised. We love it when people tell us, good job, thank you. I appreciate what you've done. I appreciate you. You're the kind of person that I want to be around. We love to hear that. And, and we sometimes it feels like we live for that. It's encouraging. We need it. And that's what comes to my mind when I read through particularly the Psalms that say to us, God, we are praising you. And the Psalms and other parts of Scripture say to us over and over again, God, you deserve to be praised. God, we want to praise you. And sometimes we're commanded to praise God. And the question in the back of my mind is why? I mean, is God so insecure that he needs us to stroke his ego? That he's sitting in heaven saying, man, I sure hope they like this because if they don't, this is going to be bad. I hope that works out okay. And we say, thank you, God. We praise you, God. He says, oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. If that's the kind of God we worship, then let's just stop right now and everybody go home. Because that sounds an awful lot like you and me. Not the God we've been singing about. And the God we read about. It is not because God has some need to be affirmed that the scriptures keep asking us and telling us and commanding us over and over again to praise God. Praising God is really not so much about God as it is about us. It isn't that God needs to hear our praises. It's that we need to speak them. Because when we speak words of praise to God, as David tells us to do at the beginning of Psalm 65, we are being reminded of who God is. And we all need to be reminded of who God is because we all live with skewed, warped views of God. Our sin creates a mindset in us that, that thinks of God in ways that are not true to the nature and the character of God. And so we all live with skewed views of God. And we need to be reminded again and again and again of who God is. That he is who he says he is. One of the things that I find in this psalm is that it, it expands our, our view of God, our understanding of who God is. And praise tends to do that. As we start naming all of the ways in which God works and all of the characteristics and the nature of God as much as we can, as we do that, it does something to us. And we begin to be reminded of the greatness of God. I'm not going to take the time to read through all the verses 5 through 13, but over and over and over again, David says, God, you have done this, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. You have blessed us. You've been abundant. You've been extravagant. And that's the thing about God. One of the reasons we praise God is to remember how abundant and extravagant God is. And so David writes in this psalm about how God not only blesses, but he blesses abundantly. 
God not only brings in the harvest, but he brings on an abundant, extravagant harvest. And that's who God is. God is not a minimalist. God is not sitting there thinking, what's the least I can do for these people and still appease them? That's how we tend to live. God is always doing and creating and working in far ways that are far beyond what we need. I was thinking about this in terms of creation. I was looking up this week that there are 9,500 species of insects. There are almost 10,000 different species of birds. 30,000 different species of fish. There are 16,000 different species of trees just in the Amazon rainforest alone. And then you start thinking about the the, the stars in the heavens, and, and it's estimated that there are a hundred billion, that's with a B, a hundred billion stars in our galaxy and estimated to be a hundred billion, again a B, galaxies in the universe. And I'm thinking, why? Right? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, ten different trees wouldn't have been enough. You got a hundred fish? I mean, that's good, isn't it? A few thousand stars? Maybe, maybe a million? It's because God loves to create. God loves to do things extravagantly. And that's why Paul writes and says that, that God wants to do immeasurably more than you could ever dream or imagine. God is not sitting there thinking, what's the least I can do? He is always thinking, how much more? How much more can I do? How much more can I give? Because it's the nature and the character of God. And every time we take time to praise God for who he is, we're reminded of that. And when we remember the extravagant abundance of God in the way he creates, in the way he operates in this world... We're reminded that God is extravagant and abundant in how he deals with us. And so David says here in verse 3, we acknowledge the depths of our sin. Which causes us, because we're praising you, to acknowledge the depths of your grace. David wants us to understand that this God who creates in abundant and extravagant ways does the same thing in pouring out his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy upon us. We know the depths of our sin. We know the width and the breadth of our sin. We know the pain of our sin. And there are times where we think, is it too much? And David is reminding us that when we take the time to praise God and think about who God is, we are reminded That our sin is never too much for God's grace. God's grace is always sufficient. Despite the despair of our sin, despite the depths of our sin, despite the wide range of our sin, God's grace is always sufficient. And it is so easy to forget that unless we take time to praise him. And to remember who he is 
That he is not the God that often we think of in our skewed, sinful perspectives. He is so much bigger, so much greater, so much more. I wonder sometimes if one of the reasons we struggle with with praise and with, and with letting our praise really get inside of us is because we don't really take the time to do it. And I think one of the ways in which, which praise comes alive for us is when we take time to be silent, to think, to ponder who God is. There is an alternate translation to verse 1 here. Uh, most, uh, many of the translations have what we had, what we read this morning, something about praises do you in Zion, O God. But there are other translations, some of the ancient texts uh, are, and so the New American Standard Version says, there will be silence before you and praise in Zion, O God. Other translations, you are praised with silence, O God. Silence is praise to you. There is something about stopping and being silent that opens our minds to ponder who God is. We live in a noisy world. I was looking up this week. There are at least 10 different colors that we assign to noise. I mean, we are, we are so enamored with noise that we can't just say noise. We have to talk about white noise and blue noise and gray noise. You know, because we, we have all these nuances of noise because it is so important to our lives. And maybe that's why we live with such skewed views of God. And noise isn't just sound. It's often how we think and what we do. Noise can be busyness, and we love busyness. In fact, we often wear busyness as a badge of honor. Or to 80 hours last week. Yeah, I'm committed. I'll say, no, you're crazy. You know, but we we get so enamored with busyness, with doing that we don't take the time to be silent. I suspect that one of the reasons we hesitate with silence is we're afraid of what God may say to us. He's going to ask us to do something we don't want to do. He's going to put his finger on something in our lives that that he wants to fix. And we'd rather he didn't. If we never take time to praise God, not just with our mouths, but with our thoughts, with silence. Bonhoeffer talks about a humility in silence. The kind of silence that is saying to God, Lord, I'm open to you. I'm ready to listen to you. You say to me whatever you want to say. And that kind of openness to God opens our minds to understand who God is. But I think ultimately we can listen for days on end and we can sing praise songs for days on end, but I am convinced the highest form of praise is obedience. Sometimes what we do for God is a smokescreen to what God really wants us to do. What he's asking of us. I think obedience is the highest form of praise. 
Because despite what we may say with our mouths and, and sing with our mouths, and despite the way that, that we may even spend time in silence, if we don't do what God wants us to do, then what we are initially declaring, in essence, is, I don't really believe that God is who he says he is. Because I don't want to take this risk. I don't want to take this step of faith because I'm not sure God is really trustworthy. I'm not sure that God is really good. I'm not sure that God's intent for my life is flourishing. And so we hesitate. And we go our own way. But when we take those steps of faith, when we, when we take steps of obedience... As David says here in verse 1, we will fulfill our vows to you. When we do that, we are declaring, God, I may not understand it. I might not get it. I might really be struggling with it. But if this is what you're calling me to do, then I'm going to do it because I trust you. I trust who you are. It is the difference between living our lives with a passion for security versus a passion for God. And if we live with a passion for security, what's driving us is fear. If all we want is security, then we will only make decisions based on what is the least fearful thing that I might do. What's the thing that that brings me the least amount of fear? How can I avoid the things that make me afraid? And that drives us. And most of the time, fear will not drive us to God. It will drive us away from God. Because John says, perfect love casts out fear. But when our passion is for the one who is eternally trustworthy, it always leads us to joy. It may lead us to difficult circumstances. It may lead us to pain and heartache and struggle. And it may lead us to difficulties. But because we are trusting in our creator, the one whose designs for us are always in our best interest, it will ultimately lead us to joy. And so in verse 8 here, David talks about how we rejoice in coming together in your temple. And you get to the end of this psalm, and he's talking about the mountains and the hills and the animals. And you get to the end of it, and he says, they all sing and shout for joy. Because they're yours. And this is why we gather every Sunday. Because we all need to be reminded in corporate praise of who God is. We need to do what we can on our own, and we should do that, and we should have time to read the Scripture and time to ponder God and and even to, to offer our words of praise to God. But by ourselves, on our own, we will tend to gravitate toward the Scriptures that tell us what we want to hear. We will tend to sing the songs that make us feel good about how we're living. We will tend to to think about God in ways that that make us free from what we really need to address. But in corporate worship, as we come together and offer corporate praise, we sing songs that we may or may not like, but we need to hear what they say. We read scriptures that we might otherwise avoid, but we need to hear. We take time to stop and to listen. We are reminded over and over again 
Sunday after Sunday after Sunday of who God is. And of God's good design and good, good thoughts and good, good pleasure that he wants for every one of us. And that brings us to this table. Because at this table we find at its core the nature of God. The nature of God in Christ who, who loves us and wants what is best for us and desires us to experience life in the fullness of all that he created us to experience. This table turns us to the, to the past and we remember what Christ has done, what God has done for us in Christ to bring us to this place. But this is also a table about the future. It is a foretaste of that day when, when Christ ushers in his kingdom and we will all gather around the marriage supper of the Lamb and celebrate God and praise him because on that day we will truly understand who God is. And our hearts will be filled with joy for who God is. And because of what God has done in the past and what God has promised in the future, we come to the present and we are confident that we can trust Him, that He is good, and that praising Him is always the right thing to do. In preparation for coming to the table this morning, we're going to do three things. At the end of every, all the rows, inside and outside of the rows, there are three by five cards. And I'm going to ask you to pass those down your row so that everybody has one. And some type of writing utensil. going to do three things. First of all, we're going to offer a corporate prayer of confession. We are going together as one body confess our sins and hear God's words of forgiveness. And then we're going to spend about 45 to 60 seconds in silence listening to God. It's just a a glimpse into what silence can mean for us. It will probably feel a little bit uncomfortable for you. But that's okay. And then third, out of the confession and out of the silence, I'm going to ask you to take a moment to write down anything God may be saying to you that he wants you to do. And to commit yourself today to say, Lord, through your grace, I'm going to be obedient. So let's join together in this prayer of confession that will be printed on the screens. Merciful God, we confess to you now that we have sinned. We confess the sins that no one knows and the sins that everyone knows. We confess the sins that are a burden to us and the sins that do not bother us because we have grown used to them. We confess our sins as a church, hesitating to love one another, to forgive one another, to give ourselves to one another like Christ. Father, forgive us. 
Send the Holy Spirit upon us as you did your disciples, that he may give us power to live as you have called us to live. Give us grace to accept what you have promised. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive your sins. Amen. Let us listen to God. Now, if God is prompting you to write down something, let me encourage you to do so. If you're watching on the streaming, grab a piece of paper and write down what God may be saying to you. We're going to take just a moment to uh, give ourselves the opportunity to, to write down whatever God may be asking us to do. gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, and we praise you. You're the creator of all that exists. You're the sustainer of all that you have made. You're the redeemer of everyone. We praise you that you are good and merciful. And that your designs for us are above and beyond anything we could dream or imagine. We pray that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake today. May it be food for our souls. And may it stir us to more and more praise of you. As we ponder who you are and what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. Be glorified in our praise and our worship. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Amen. 